Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's start off with letting people know that we've officially booked our Waterways Travel El Salvador trip. Oh my God, Waterways Travel's hooking us up, bros. We're going to Punta Mango. <laughs> We're going to El Salvador. Super fun, rippable right hander. I've surfed there before. It's a great wave. It actually has a cool little tube section. And um, it's a lot like, it's kind of like lowers, but it's better. It's like, warm it's a better way than lowers i think faster and um super rippable and there's actually is a tube section so yeah better than lowers and just you know el salvador is a great place the people are super friendly it's got an interesting history it's a fascinating place el salvador um you know you fly in it's about i don't know two and a half hours from the airport to get down there to the east side to those points down there and waterways travels hooking us up david give the listeners some insight about how they can join us Uh, It's going to be April 2024. The dates are April 7th through April 13th. Six nights, double occupancy rooms, meaning you're going to stay with somebody else on the trip. Only 18 spots available. Um, And so it's very limited. I think we've already, I've got interest at least from 12 or 13 people as of this morning. People replying to the email saying, hey, I'm totally down. And I think among those, uh, half of them have given their deposits already. So it's going to fill up quick. We have, I mean, this is the first time we're discussing it on air. What I did was send an email to all of our supporters uh, who contribute the $5 a month. And so they got kind of first access. So that's how it filled up so quickly before we're discussing it. But room is still available. If anybody is interested, you can email me surfsplendor at gmail.com. And then I'll connect you with the guys at uh, Waterways Travel. But it's basically six nights. The price is only... $1,175 per person. And that includes the six nights of accommodation of a shared room. Eight, obviously, there's AC at the hotel. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner and non-alcoholic beverages are included in that price. One massage per person, as well as surf guide service with daily morning and afternoon surf trips to the surrounding breaks. Punta Mango is right out front, but then we'll be doing trips kind of around to the local spots as well. So I think it's a smoking deal. Airfare is on your own. You'll have to, Waterways will help you book it, but you'll have to, you know, consider that expense in addition to the $1,175. Um, so pretty exciting stuff. We've been threatening to do this for a long time and it's finally happening. Yeah. Hey, look, um, come surf with us. We're excited to come hang out with the listeners and get a surf in a whole week in El Salvador hanging out and, um, it's going to be fun. You know, we're going to get to talk story and, and, uh, yeah, I'm excited. It's, it's right. It's on my birthday. It's like my birthday trip. 
No way. I didn't know that. Not that it's about me, but it kind of is. <laughs> now it is. <laughs> you certainly made it about oh, you. Yeah, um, well, what I really, the way that I see this playing out is I told the guys at Waterways, I go, dude, 18 isn't enough. I mean, you don't want to have more than 18 people, of course, because it'll just be Insta crowd everywhere you go. But we have more than 18 people who will be interested in this trip. And so one of my suggestions was maybe we can do two weeks and there'll be two different groups of people that come. Or maybe we end up just doing two trips a year or three trips a year because I really do feel like um, the demand far outweighs the supply. And we've been, like I said, prepping for this for so long that I think it's a lot of pent up demand. So maybe we figure out another trip for the fall of 2024 if uh, this does fill up real quickly and there's people that can't come. Yeah. But but for those interested, Punta Mango, and if you know you can't make those dates work but you still want to go, go to waterwaystravel.com. Obviously, um, they have destinations around the do world. They do but they have multiple. I want to go to Namotu in the fall. Oh, yeah, totally. I would love that. That would be sick. Um, yeah, speaking – well – yeah, we can discuss that one too, for sure. I've never been, I was just going to say Matt Warshaw. I just talked to him yesterday. He's coming down to the boardroom show, I think oh, cool. this next month. Uh, and he's got a Nemotu trip scheduled at the end of October. Well, you know, what's funny. The but last any- time I surfed Punta Mango was with Matt. It was no Matt way. and I on a trip together. Matt's like a tube mongrel. He just takes off. He just sticks his arm in the wave face and just waits for the thing. And it's, if it doesn't tube, he's not moving his arm, but generally, generally the thing, that guy, he clocked some major tube time down there. This was like, I don't know, 2001 or something, 20 years ago. Well, he'll be doing it again in, at Namotu next month. That's cool. Um, and then, of course, the other thing that we need to mention is uh, driftline.co. We're wearing our drift lines right now, but we will also be wearing them in El Salvador. We got to get some, we got to get everybody a pair of drift lines for that trip. Yeah, no doubt. Look, the drift lines are insane. They're super warm because they have a half millimeter wetsuit liner. They're uh, just like normal board shorts on the outside, light and functional and stretchy. Um, but of course, the uh, magic is the warmth and the, the a snug fit, uh, the comfortable and protective fit of that inner lining board short uh, wetsuit material. So I love my drift lines. Uh, been wearing them on two, I've gone on two trips already with my drift lines to mainland Mexico and in Indonesia. And I uh, swear by them. In fact, then I took them to Hood River. I, I wore them in Hood River, Oregon. So, yeah. And and North Carolina. Oh, that's trips. right. <laughs> Uh-oh. Going on too many trips. All right. Well, driftline.co, you'll save 15% off your purchase using our promo code SPIT at driftline.co. As we see, some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit. 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 We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Oh, my. Yeah, guy. Hurricane Hove is bearing down on us. You're listening to Spit, the surfing podcast. David Lee Scales, Scott Bass with you. And David, we've. I, do you feel Hurricane Hova anxiety? Are you sensing that there's something in the wheelhouse? Uh, I feel no anxiety, and I've been let down by previous hurricanes, so I'm setting my expectations reasonably. That's super smart and um, mature and not very surf-like of you. <laughs> uh, you but, said surfing podcast. I feel like it's a 
slash foiling podcast now too. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I mean, you know, foiling is surfing. I think on some level, when when you see these guys doing it the way they're doing it, it's amazing the stuff these guys are doing. Well, you just uh, said in the ad that you wore your drift line in your drift in the drift line ad that you wore your drift lines in Hood River, Oregon. Were you foiling up there? Yeah, so there was a there was a foiling trade show up there. It's called AWSI, which I imagine stands for the Association of Water Sports Industry or something like that. But anyway, yeah, there was a, um, or maybe it's wind industry. I don't know, but it was a it was basically a bunch of all the foiling brands were up there, you know. Um, and of course, the hot new thing in f- the foiling industry is the downwind foiling, down downwind stand up foiling. And, of course, wing, you know, using a wing. And so there was a lot of wings and a lot of, of course, if you've been to Hood River, it's basically the Columbia River runs through Hood River, Oregon. And it's this massive two walls of, you know, mountains, granite, stone, whatever it is, whatever kind of stone it is. It's probably, um, you know, I don't know, from the Ice Age or something, cut this massive gorge and made the Columbia River. And wind basically is forced into these into this gap and so it just blows each almost you know on the hour every hour uh more or less and so it's perfect for for i mean it's been a windsurfing place forever right and um and it's so it's a perfect place for now foiling is kind of taken over like it's basically just people on wing foils everywhere you know there's a there's still quite a few sailboarders but even the sailboarders are getting up on foil now they have new boards that have foils on them because look there's just less friction you just go faster which means you need less sail so it's kind of like the perfect situation but i was up there uh, talking to the foil companies and of course they all many of them are surfers um as i mentioned kt from maui He's going to be at the show. He's bringing his surfboards and some of his foil stuff. And um, we've got quite a few other uh, foil brands that are going to so, exhibit. And it's I think it's prime. I mean, if you're a surfer like you and I, David, and you've seen the stuff online where the guys are just ripping on waves, going super fast, and this is what intrigued us about going to real water sports and visiting the Outer Banks and learning how to foil. is just basically you see what these guys are doing, and you're like, wow. This looks like surfing on steroids, which is what it is. You just go so fast. It's ridiculous. So um, there's a lot of, I think, surfers that are, you know, right on the cusp of, of maybe, you know, getting into foiling. And um, now's the time. The technology has gone through the roof. Even in the last two years, it's like going from riding a 1950s longboard to riding a modern contemporary super light carbon surfboard like the technology's just gone through the roof so it's much easier it's much more approachable the the barrier to entry is a lot more manageable now uh did you get out in the river i actually didn't i was i i put on my gear i was ready to go but uh i was so busy um and frankly i was a little bit uh i felt like such a newbie i i, I was i didn't want to kook out you know which yeah doesn't mean I was, didn't want to do it. I was I had my wetsuit on. I was ready to go. And I was supposed to meet somebody that was going to take me. And then I got caught up with a phone call. And by the time I walked down there, they had already gone out into the water. So, But, um, yeah, there was a sense. I did have a sense of, like, the kid that was at the pickup basketball game that didn't get invited to go play basketball. <laughs> Which, you know me, that tears me apart. I'm like, oh, my God, I want to play, man. But well, I, again, I was so busy. De- I, I, 
I, it was a very successful show for me from a business standpoint. So I was talking a lot. Yeah, well, that that feeling, as embarrassing as that is when you're in high school, you don't get that feeling very often in your 40s and 50s and beyond. <laughs> and so it's actually a little bit, I don't know, nostalgic or something. It feels kind of good, right? Yeah, well, what it does is it, it makes me look internally and, and just kind of acknowledge what that feeling is and where it comes from. And um, I always like to, to spend some quiet time and have some introspection about the way I'm feeling. And, and that really comes from, you know, mindfulness, meditation, being able to kind of pull yourself out of your emotion and just acknowledge it and kind of go, hmm, that's interesting. Where is that coming from? Where, you know, and yeah, so it's all good. I'm, I mean, I'm just... I think, you know, even five years ago, I probably would be like, ah, I would have figured out a way to get out there or whatever. But yeah. now I'm kind of more like, this seems like the will of the uh, the ether. Yeah. Well, um, we will get into the boardroom show later. And we will also, the bulk of the show is going to be about finals day because Swell is on the way. The surfers are in the water already. But before we get into that, I've got listener feedback from last episode. Yeah. Somebody emailed and said, DLS, I'm listening to Spit right now. And I have a stingray story that still makes my skin crawl. Ooh. I used to work at a summer camp for kids for my college job, summer job in, the, in San Diego. I was a camp instructor, which is basically babysitting kids for eight hours a day on the beach as we all try different <laughs> types of aquatic sports, surfing, wakeboarding, boogie boarding, snorkeling, etc., Although the camp was a fun summer job compared to other occupations for a college kid with no work experience, the summers would get hot, instructors would get sunburned and tired, and the wa warmer waters of midsummer meant stingray season was in full swing. In fact, some instructors would do a stingray suicide in which you run into shallow water stomping around with the hopes of getting stung because you could clock out of work for the day if you got hit. Knowing how bad a stingray sting is uh, from my two instances while surfing, I always worked my full shift, but I digress. One day I'm clocking out and my buddy comes up with a crazed look in his eye. I ask him what's up and he tells me the following story. He took his eight-year-old campers to a local sandy cove where the camp takes the kids snorkeling. The, the cove is sheltered with little to no water movement. The water is very warm. There are plenty of crabs uh, and other bottom feeders, specifically stingrays. Every time you take campers to this spot in particular, you give them a 10-minute lecture of how to stingray shuffle, the danger of stingrays, what happens if you get stung, and all other stingray safety tips so that the kids don't get sent home with a bandage and an angry phone call from the parents. Once the lecture is over, we give the kids their equipment, which consists of a mask, snorkel, and other a life jacket to prevent drowning and to prevent other hazards. One eight-year-old camper was particularly energetic, uh, energetic, jumping off the walls, not listening during the safety talks, distracting the other campers, just being an overall brat. So they sat him to the side, didn't let him go in the water, as all of his friends went out into the cove to see the sea life. After an hour, the problematic camper had settled down. It was hot out, and the instructors wanted to get in the water, so they finally let the camper join his friends. He suited up, snorkel, mask, life jacket, straight to go. Once he was equipped, he beelined it straight into the water, ignoring all of the safety talks about stingrays and the importance of the stingray shuffle. As he runs into the shallow water, he trips, falls on his face, 
and comes up with a full adult stingray flopping on his life jacket with a stinger lodged in the life jacket right where his heart is. The instructors were able to get the life jacket off the camper, clip the stinger, and set the stingray back in the water. The camper was shook. The lifeguards were shook. The camper almost got Steve Irwin had it not been for the life jacket. Nightmare fuel for all of the parents out there. Well, all is well that ends well, and uh, now summer camp counselors have a good story to make sure other campers stingray shuffle. Keep up the work, James. Wow, what a sp- glad it ended well. That was scary there at the end there. You were, you were taking me into Halloween territory, Steve <laughs> Irwin Halloween territory. So that's, that's uh, you know, they're out there. And man, the thing about stingrays, if you've never been stung, it ain't no bee sting. <laughs> it's no, pretty it painful, man. It is no, it painful. Ain't. It really is. Um, but yeah, stingray shuffle. I, even the stingray shuffle, it's not foolproof. It you isn't. Know? I mean, the the idea for those who don't know is you don't lift your feet. You just drag them through the sand. And so in theory, that sand will kick up uh, and disrupt any stingray that's laying in front of you. And hopefully he'll scurry away but it's totally not foolproof. I mean, you could kick into a stinger, you can kick into the face, and then they'll whip their tail up like a scorpion and sting you. But it's better than clomping, you know, stomping around and landing on one. Hey, look, this brand is not a sponsor whatsoever, but look what I bought. (laughs) Can you see this? Oh my gosh, you got it. The Shark Bands 2. Yeah. Still in the box, though. You haven't used it yet? Still in the box. I haven't. Okay. I haven't pulled it out. I haven't even looked at it, but um, yeah, I mean, I bought it to wear it. Yeah, good. Well, I'm glad. We yes. said last show, you be the the test pilot on that one. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we talked about in previous two shows, I think, was that uh, fundraiser that we did with Tim Pony Surfboards. Yeah. We ran it for one week. It was the final week of August, and um, 91 people donated to that fund. $18,200 were raised. That's so great. And tell the listeners yeah. of what exactly, where those funds go. 20 families on Maui who were affected by the wildfires. So we came up with the concept of 20 people, you know, uh, Nick and Nick and Jeff Timponi will identify 20 families and we'll just raise the money and give, divide it by 20 and give it directly to those families. No fees are taken. Uh, the Timponis built a surfboard that they would then give away to one of the donors just as a little bit of an incentive. The person who won that is actually a podcast listener from Santa Cruz area. Oh, cool. His name is Jeff Swisher. Uh-huh. And Jeff Swisher is emailed and DM'd for, I don't know, a decade or so. I mean, we've been doing this show for a decade, and I feel like he's been chiming in since yeah. the beginning. And years ago, he actually chimed in asking for advice for how to start a podcast. And so he has his own surf podcast called The Midlife. I think it's The Midlife Surfer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the word crisis, I always want to say midlife crisis, but I don't <laughs> think the word crisis is in there. Just the midlife surfer podcast. Um, so huge shout out to Jeff Swisher. Thank you for donating. Thank you to all the other 90 donors. $18,200 is no small amount that equated to, I believe $910 per person. So that money was directly deposited into those people's accounts last week or the week before. And, um, yeah, it's meaningful. That's that's super cool, and um, and I think you know what you mentioned about the direct deposit straight. Like this is cash that they can now literally today go and 
and take care of stuff, you know, whether it's quite frankly, they might need to go get a burrito, you know, totally. or whatever, who cares? Let them, let them, these people are in need. And, uh, and I well, know that Jeff and Nick, and by the way, shout out to the Timponi family, the, the Ohana there for doing that. That's awesome. And they know who deserves and needs the money. And, and I'm sure that uh, it's gone to the right people. I'm excited about that. That's so great. Good work, well, folks. One of the couples that got the money um, is uh, Joshua Weisfeld, who's a board builder on Maui under the name Jaw Surfboards. Yeah. So Jaw, um, Joshua's in Lahaina. His factory was in Lahaina. He lost his house. He lost his factory. I recorded a podcast and I published it yesterday. So you can go listen to that on Surf Splendor. And it's a really harrowing story when he tells about the actual evacuation itself. Um, very, very scary. And but ultimately, in regards to what you're talking about with the you know nine hundred bucks and the difference that that makes, he said so many people have left the island because there's no work, and tourism is down, and so much of the island depends on tourism dollars. And he's a board builder, and of course he lost his factory and all of his tools and materials and stuff like that. So even if he had board orders, it's going to be a while until he can fulfill those orders. And he has thankfully figured out a solution, um, temporary solution, but you know, it's not going to be the same level of income that he had before. And so if he wanted to go get a secondary job, let's say be a server or a busboy or um, valet at a hotel, it's all tourism related. And because tourism is down, they're not hiring. And his wife had a photography business. A bunch of those clients canceled, you know? So they're, uh, the economics of this fallout from the fires is going to be very depressed for a long time. And um, thankfully, he's able to stay on island because he has a friend who's letting him stay in their, you know, uh, spare room or whatever it is, basement room or something like that. Uh, but not everybody has that solution. So, so many families who have lived on Maui forever are now off to Oahu to try to kind of make ends meet until they get the, their situation sorted, which by the way, there's no timeline on, you know, like Lahaina is still fenced off. You cannot access it. You cannot go see the remains of your home. It's complete. So forget about rebuilding. Like they don't even have access to the space yet. So yeah. it's going to be a long time until they get anything sorted out. Well, here's my little quick update on this. And um, I gave some money. There's a GoFundMe page uh, for Bob Ole Olson, surfboard shaper in Maui for like, I want to say five decades or whatever. It's been a long time. This guy's a legend shaper and um, a part of the Lahaina community. And uh, the update on his GoFundMe page uh, goes like this. Um, As the handler of practical matters in the family, I've been very busy replacing essential things, everything from glasses and hearing aids for both of us to slippers. Bob left the house barefoot. And with dealing with officialdom insurance, relief applications, medical appointments, and staying in touch with people as best I can, I'm taking it one day at a time, being sure to take breaks and stay focused with moving forward. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Bob has understandably taken the losses very hard. 
He bought this house brand new 50 years ago. It sat on a bare red dirt lot, and he immediately started planting things, including a mango sapling that grew to produce some of the best mangoes in Lahaina, and shaded our house in the afternoon. The house and the yard were his little, o- o- uh, his little oasis in his old age. The loss of finished and partially shaped boards is something I'll be addressing with people in the coming months. If you had a board or a deposit with us, please share your contact info. But the worst thing for Bob is the loss of the extensive template collection that he'd spent decades developing. He doesn't remember the evacuation, and he doesn't want to talk about the fire. The one thing he focuses on is being able to shape again. And that's just a portion of the update, but they've raised some money. So if you want to help out the um, Oli Aloha Fund, is right there. Uh, you can just do a search for Bob Oli Olson or the Oli Aloha Fund on GoFundMe if you want to help out there. I think order a surfboard. I mean, yeah. there's there's a handful of board builders from Lahaina, and I think that would be the best way to support is um, empower them. You know, I mean, donations are fantastic too, but also empower them to get back to work and start earning money uh, in the way that they're accustomed to. There's something about the loss of your templates, even though you can get them replaced. And, you know, there's, you know, a ton of guys on all the islands that probably have some great templates. But who really has Bob Ole Olson's template? Like Bob made his own templates 50 years ago or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like those were the templates that you wanted to get replicated. Like, you know what I mean? Totally. So that's that's just, I think, irreplaceable, quite frankly. Yeah, completely. Well, much love to Maui. Thank you to everybody who contributed and supported and continues to. Yeah. Um, Lower's Day is upon us. Today is the official opening window of the finals day event for the WSL, and they have called the event off today officially. Yeah, well, good. It's shitty. It's shitty. (laughs) It's not good. It's uh, three to four feet with an occasional shoulder-high wave. But uh, look. Hurricane Hova is on everyone's mind. It's bearing down on us. It was a major hurricane. Went Cat 5 for a little while. It's also quickly losing steam. And um, I think uh, right now it's at about 100 miles per hour. It's quickly going over colder water. The storm has a great track. The one thing that's working against it is that it's it's – uh, its speed has quickened, so it's quickly going over colder water, which means it's quickly losing power. But uh, make no doubt, uh, have no doubt about this. This is going to be a positive swell-producing storm for trestles. And um, frankly, I think tomorrow or Sunday are the day. One of the one of those two days is going to be the day they run it. There's been a lot of discussion amongst discussion boards and comment sections about which day to do it. Um, Some are saying that Saturday, the swells to Southeast and that's not the best direction for lowers, but I sense that Saturday is going to be the bigger day. And I don't sense that you want to have it on Sunday, hoping that the direction goes a little bit more Southwest or a little bit more straight South. Frankly, I kind of like the idea that it's going to be steep in Southeast because what does it do? It throws a wild card into the situation. Now we have a unique uh, direction of swell that not, it's not a direction that Felipe or Griffin usually deal with, which are the two local guys there. Um, 
and it's going to be biggest, I think, on Saturday. And the winds are fine. The winds are, I mean, it's unfortunately it goes onshore from the northwest in the afternoon, but that's the wind direction you want for lowers, and it's only like 8 to 10 miles per hour. There will be a wrinkle on the wave faces. They will be crumbly, but it's not, it's just the same we've seen in the past at events at lowers. It's not like an evil devil south wind. So this unique direction, right, adds this wild card factor, and it'll be bigger. Some people are like, well, what? You know, what does lowers do on a southeast swell, you know? And some are saying, oh, it, it, it makes the rights just kind of fat and push out to sea. I don't think that's the case. Now, I'm no expert, and there are many people that will listen to this that, are, that have more insight into this. But I sense that a southeast direction is actually going to make the left kind of push out to sea a little bit. And the right will bend into the little bay there. Now, it could be a little wallier on the right. But uh, we're going to see plenty of swell, and I think it's unique. And I like that, that there's a wild card factor here, you know, six feet with maybe some plus sets from a unique direction. So even though the angle is slightly not ideal, it's not the wrong angle, right? So what we're really dealing with is Saturday, plenty of energy in the water. Five to eight feet is essentially what it'll be. And slightly less than ideal angle or wait for Sunday, maybe a better angle, not confirmed and very likely less energy and less size and dissipating as well. So the main kind of finals are going to take place later in the day. And if it is dissipating, then you run into that issue. We are confronted with the oldest kind of axiom that you go by, which is if you wake up and there's waves, you run the event. You know, tomorrow is not promised. So if you wake up and it's Saturday and there's plenty of energy in the water, you run the event, full stop. Totally agree. And I'm sure that they see it that way too. In addition, of course, Saturday here in uh, the Northern Hemisphere, or well, in this time zone, is going to be Sunday at a lot of other places. And of course, the WSL loves to run things on the weekend, which is understandable. It allows for more people to watch their event. So a Saturday run means in Australia, it's Sunday. If they do it on Sunday here in California, then it's Monday in some regions of the world. And, and just if they're putting on their eyeballs cap, which I'm sure they are, um, Saturday makes more sense from them from a from a viewership standpoint purely. I'm not saying I agree with that, I'm, but I think Saturday, like you, is going to be the better day. More energy in the water, and a lot of it. Will, it'll be interesting to watch today, uh, especially this evening. I want to see what happens today. We've both looked at lowers on the lowers cam on Surfline, and seen what's out there this morning. Let's see what it looks like in six hours. And see if we're seeing some new energy pop up on the buoys. I'm probably going to see it's going to be kind of mid-period, maybe tw maybe 12 second energy. There's going to be a lot of waves too. You're probably going to see sets that have you know five, six, seven waves in a set. Um, so I like Saturday. There's some naysayers that are saying bypass the entire hurricane swell. There's actually a pretty solid southwest swell that's aiming to hit on the 13th, 14th, 15th which is on the backside of the waiting period. I think they could fit it in then. That's just more of a traditional southwesterly, um, you know, southern hemisphere swell. But I, I, like you said, you know, bird in hand. Yeah, you got to go with the bird in hand. Um, the other thing about running uh, or just kind of the business trying to run to get the most eyeballs, 
Sunday's opening day for the NFL, I believe. So what do you mean you believe? You either know it is or you don't know it is. <laughs> well, I I don't Come track on. the I don't track the NFL, but yes, it is. Um, and so that would conflict, you know, for people here in the U.S. anyways. Yeah. Um, now, interestingly, I know you were traveling, so I'm not sure if you saw this or not, but there do you are you familiar with the show Instagram account and YouTube channel called Couch Surfing? I am. Those guys are doing a cool thing. Um, I, I've watched some of it. I, I, I want to say it, well, you know more about it than I do, but I just know enough. I just know like a peripheral thing where they sit on the beach and they do some fun, fun, lighthearted commentary on yeah. surfing that's taking place. So Joe Alani and his brother, Noah, Joe Alani, um, was instrumental in so many lost surfboard films, uh, for the last 15 years. And, um, so that's kind of where he got his start from a young age, filming with Lost and then editing and producing the films and all that sort of stuff. And then his little brother got involved and traveled with Kaloe and Dino when Kaloe first got on tour and filmed all the Kaloe stuff. And those guys have since left Lost and started Alani Media, which is a, you know, video production company where they shoot commercials for all sorts of stuff. And they a year or two ago started what they call couch surfing they get an actual couch they put it on the beach and they live stream surfing from you know uh every day you know random events random surf sessions at huntington pier to swell events uh at the wedge or whatever it is so they showed up at lowers two days ago interestingly the wsl actually blocked out lowers for three hours i'm not sure how they were able to permit this but they actually got a practice session for the 10, the top five men, the top five women who will be competing at finals day. And they gave them three hours of practice on Thursday morning from nine to 12. They did not stream, the WSL did not stream it, but the Alani brothers showed up with a couch surfing show and live streamed the full session uh, with commentary from the likes of Joe Turpel. They've got next year's rookie Cole Hauschman. They've got, um, uh, Crosby Colapinto, Griffin's brother on the couch, rotating pros, rotating commentary, sitting there and dissecting the session. And it was epic. It was a live stream and it was epic. It was flawlessly streamed. I mean, multiple camera angles, replays, um, cutaways, in integrating user comments in real time. There's a live, you know, on YouTube, they stream it on YouTube. You could live comment along the side. And this was a phenomenal, phenomenal event. That's cool. I'm going to check that out. I'm sure that they, you can watch it again, right, on their YouTube I, channel. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I was traveling. But I saw that pop up, and I thought, God, these guys are on it again. And, those, and Joe and his crew, his brother, I guess, they, they do a phenomenal job. I mean, they've done phenomenal work in the past, right? And so it makes sense. And um, it's kind of a fun – it's like the exact opposite of what a – broadcast from the WSL would look like as far mm-hmm. as there's a little bit of um, irreverence, you know, which I think is, which is welcomed. And that's, yep. um, I'm, I'm looking well, forward to seeing it. Here's what I liked about it. That fits with what you're saying. Um, when they're integrating the viewers comments and also the commentary of just Joe and the other guys on the couch, it's reflective of what you and I are experiencing. I feel like when I watch the WSL events, they are in an ivory tower and they are communicating something 
and even the judges are seeing something and scoring something that often does not reflect what you and I are witnessing. And then in after the event's over, you know, it's very different than what the entire internet witnessed. The entire internet will be like, what the hell? That score shouldn't have been that, or that guy should have won the heat instead of lost the heat. And then also, why is nobody talking about Ethan Ewing who broke his back? Or why is nobody talking about Eric Logan having been fired at this event? Or kind of these huge things that are existing in surfing that the WSL just blatantly does not acknowledge. Whereas on the couch surfing team, uh, somebody will comment, you know, God, Joao's really bogging right now. And you're like, yeah, he is. That's what I'm witnessing too. And so having kind of a real reflection of what you're experiencing, I think is a huge step forward. Yeah, those are great points, David. The, the ivory tower thing really stuck with me. And um, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating the power that the community has in shifting the viewpoints eventually over time, perhaps of those in the higher in the ivory tower, you know, um, it, it's a real, and we've used this word before. It's a real d- democratization of, yeah. um, the culture, you know, and, yeah. um, the couch surfing thing is a real o- opportunity. And it's been a great example of the community kind of taking over and readjusting and doing a reset of mm-hmm. what this should look like. And I was pleased to see like that afternoon, maybe the WSL, on their Instagram feed, actually republished, uh, reposted the couch surfing Instagram clip. So I don't know if they um, had any partnership in any sort of way, but I was just glad to see that the WSL actually embraced the pirate stream, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, and that's interesting. Like, So you, you think to yourself, hmm, what would Elo have done if he was still in charge? You know, Would he have just shut the whole thing down? Because he got to control the output. Yeah, I don't think he can. I don't, I don't think either. he can shut it down. If if they show up and they're going to film at lowers, they're allowed to, right? But I don't think that he would have embraced it. It de- definitely feels like a different, It's it, at least from their Instagram feed, the WSLs shifted a little bit to be, yeah. a, um, like I said, kind of more reflective of what the real surfing world is like and experience. Yeah, I saw that this morning too. And I thought to myself, who's, who's pushing the buttons over there now? You know, who, mm-hmm. I, I sense that there's some people that are like, hey, we need to shift here, you know, and is it, and so I'm like, is it the two lawyer people, the, the, the woman and who the knows? man that are in charge here or who, who's doing this? And I don't it's kind know. of fascinating. It seems like there's just maybe uh, less restriction. Whoever who's running was, it? Like who's making the final decision? Like, you know what I mean? I don't think there was a decision. I, I mean, I'm, I have no idea. I'm just guessing, yeah. but I think yeah. that before there was a restriction, you know, with Eric Logan saying, this is what we're doing and this is what we're definitely not doing. And now I think the what we're not doing might be pushed aside a little bit. And so whoever, maybe it's just the person running the social media and they don't have to get approval, but they saw what happened with the couch surfing. They were like, this is meaningful. Let's help promote it because it helps promote us. Yeah. Pretty pretty basic, right? Yeah, that's pretty basic. Exactly. Um, So here's my permit, the permit, the three hour permit. Do you think there was a permit or I kind of just think that they went, Hey, Let's just tell everybody that we have that we're having a practice and you can't be out there. You know what I mean? I'm not sure that there was really a permit, but I don't know. Well, here's what was posted on Surfline the day before uh, Wednesday. Yeah. If you look at the lower trestles forecast, uh, Keaton Browning, the forecaster, said, please note, lower trestles will be closed to surfing on Thursday from uh, from the 7th, Thursday, the 7th, from 9 a.m. to 12 
p.m. for the official practice for the rip curl WSL finals surfers. So it was mandated in advance. You're right. I don't know if it was permitted yeah, or if they... Yeah, like just because Surfline said it doesn't mean that... Don't know. I don't know the details. I have a, but, I have a theory. Tell me. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but when I get a theory, I got to spit it out. Um, tell me. My theory is the state guards that work that beach right there were approached by some people and they were like, hey, we want to do this thing. Do you think that you can just like from nine to 12, just be on site with your loudspeakers and just clear the water? A lot of times these things just get done on a real micro local mm-hmm. level. And because um, I've had positive experiences with the with the state guards up there, um, Steve Long, Greg Long's dad specifically, who I just approached him and said, hey, I want to do this. And he goes, you know what? Let's do it. Like there was no like, let me check with my boss or let me, you know, it was like, OK, you know what? I'm going to make that happen. Let's go. And I'm, I'm hoping that that's probably what occurred, that they just went, yeah, you know what? We'll tell people to get out of the water because it's practice and um, we'll see what happens. And yeah. And what I've had in similar situations to that is there's some people who don't get out of the water. There's yeah. a couple there's a couple of people who are like, screw that. I'm still going to be out here. What are you going to do? And that's fine, too, you know, but if you clear 90 percent, then that is helpful. Um, But what I do want to say is I love this. I mean, I understand the side of the grumpy local and like you can't kick us out. We were waiting for this swell. You know, I get all of that. But in reality, these kind of this level, this kind of championship tour level doesn't come around to your local spot if but once a year. And in the moment that it does, it's pretty exciting to see the top five surfers in the world surf it and be able to practice. And they're not asking for all day. They're asking for three hours. And so if I were a local at whatever the spot is, I would be happy to acquiesce in order for these people to practice because it's just really fun to watch. So I love that this happened. I love that they organized it in whatever manner they did. And I think it's important for those surfers to be able to get their practice in. I think it's beneficial for finals day for them to get that three hours. I agree. But I'll tell you the one thing that they're not going to be knowing about is a Southeast swell direction. And uh, that's going to, that's in, in some regards, that's almost the most important thing when you're practicing, it's, you know, it's not like in my, you know, which top turn am I going to do? It's kind of like, let me feel out the waves and how the waves roll in and which wave of the set I should take and all that. And that's all wiped clear when we're going to have six wave sets from 165 degrees coming in. Like that's anything that they learned two days ago. um, Most of it's out the window. Well, to a degree, look, reps under the belt are helpful period. Yeah. But they're getting reps all the time. In fact, I was talking to Jeff Baldwin, who's going to be doing the on the beach commentary, I believe. And he was saying, man, the surfing out at lowers the other day was insane. Like specifically, uh, he was like Mick Fanning, I think was there. Yeah. Um, and Ethan Ewing. He's like, basically he's like the Australians were just flying around like next level excited, just off the plane. Woo. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, let's talk about that because I did yeah. watch the couch surfing show, the full, uh, the full, um, three hours of warm up session. So I can kind of give you a rundown on my thoughts on who's going to win. Yeah. Um, the waves were good. They weren't great. They were kind of waist to shoulder high. There was a day a couple of days prior that was overhead and kind of pumping. And so there's free surf footage of that, but it was super crowded and you're dodging people. You know, the line that you want, you can't necessarily take. So it's a little bit different. But 
my thoughts are this comes down to Griffin Colapinto on the men's side. Griffin Colapinto versus Felipe Toledo. And Felipe is very, very, very difficult to look past. He's so dominant at lowers. But Griffin Colapinto looks really, really good. And in that warm-up session, I think he earned my pick as I'm kind of rooting for him. I'm not sure how... I can't tease apart if it's just... Wait a minute. <laughs> Say what? that again? You're rooting for Felipe Toledo? No, no. Griffin earned oh. my pick from his oh. surfing out there I'm that sorry. day. Is I mean... All the money would be on Felipe just based on yeah. on paper, right? And yeah. past performances. But watching that session, Griffin had a certain kind of spark to him. Fluidity. Uh, I don't know, like a leisurely kind of approach that just felt fresh. And maybe yeah. that's what it is more than anything. Is like Felipe, we know what we're getting. We know what to expect. Yeah. And he, he delivers... But it's like Griffin yeah. just looks a little bit different. And yeah. um, he does this, the way he loads up on a bottom turn. He's like really squat, really sitting in his hips. And it's just like, it looks, I don't know. It just looks fresh to me for some reason. Um, so I'm really rooting for Griff. I can't tease apart if it is just my heart that's rooting for Griff or if I actually think he's his surfing is superior. But yeah. that day he looked like the winner to me. Hold on for just a sec. I got to take a break here. Scott, while we're at break, let's give listeners a reminder about real water sports. I was texting with Trip this week, and he said we need to do another trip next year. Same time, same thing we did this time, but reunion trip. I love it. I want to I do, do that. I, I want to do it, and I want to bring Katrina with me this time. Sadly, she couldn't make it because of some stuff. But yeah, real water sports. Look, here's the deal. In fact, I was talking to a bunch of people in the foil community up at Hood River about Real, and they were all like, yeah, those guys have got their act together. What a great store and a great situation. You can go to the Outer Banks, rent a condo overlooking the sound there, um, get instruction on how to either kiteboard or foil surf or uh, e-foil or whatever it is you want to learn how to do. They've got the... um, capability to get you in the water and get you up to speed and that's what david and i did and uh, i urge you to go check it out uh what a beautiful place in uh, waves north carolina there on the outer banks and just a great family destination too like the water's warm it's leisurely like the pace of life feels relaxed people are warm the people are super great and we had great meals by the way yeah we're going back to that restaurant what was that going back (laughs) i forget the place yeah that restaurant was was good there's a number of them. I mean, yeah. it was very, very good. We had a blast. So thank you, Real. And yeah, anybody who wants to relive that experience or just have expert coaching, world-class coaching for any of those water sports, um, Real provides that. So go to realwatersports.com for all of your water sport needs. You know what? Welcome to the Stoke Zone, Real Water Sports. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. 
Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references. And now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, so Griffin was surfing good and you know I, yeah, I was I was um, I was reading a letter that I'm sure you got it too that Sam McIntosh sent to staff premium members or yeah, and it kind of was um, unfolding basically what's going to happen in the next year with Stab and all the fun and exciting stuff and content that they have, and they're doing something with Machat uh, with uh, Dave Rostovich, and Dave said something. I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but he said good surfing is um, should be like when you're by yourself and you're dancing. You know what I mean? And I think that's what you sense with with Griffin is that there's a dance that's happening. There's a little bit of just freedom in his style. Whereas with Felipe, you just get the sense that it's a more of a gymnastics routine. Mm -hmm. Like the girl's going to go, you know, she's supposed to hit this mark, get up on the pommel horse, do three flips, tuck her knees and land with a perfect landing and that's a 10 and that's what you get with Felipe you get like a pommel horse routine almost whereas Griffin and all good surfing I think the, the reason we sometimes have a hard time identifying why it looks so good is that it's like dancing uh, by yourself to a really great song yeah and the thing is with Felipe is it is the best routine that you've ever witnessed so it's hard to really diminish uh, no, oh there's no doubt yeah but but that, but that's not what surfing is, right? Surfing also has this unknown, unquantifiable. It's not unknown; it's unquantifiable element, which is style. Yeah. Well, but not that Felipe <laughs> doesn't have a good style. It's just that his style is pommel horse jumping. Yeah. Like, well, so if I had to rank the the five and what I witnessed in that warm up session, sadly, Joao Chianca looks. Uh, I put him in fifth place. I had a lot of high hopes for him because I think we love him. We love his style of surfing. He just looked less consistent to me. He was falling on turns. He seemed a little bit uncertain of which turn to do at which spot. He was on the ones that were kind of going out to see. Maybe his wave selection wasn't as good as the other guys. So I see, and Joao, look, he's newer on tour, you know, and it makes sense that he wouldn't be kind of as uh, fine-tuned a competitor for this moment, even if he has all the talent in the world. What I liked about him going into this event was that he is got a puncher's chance. Because we don't know what to expect necessarily, he could just kind of throw a wrench in the script and do something totally out of uh, our expectations and win it. But he looked, in this warm-up session, he looked the least consistent of all of them. 
Ethan Ewing, Jack Robinson will be fighting for a third spot in my mind. Ethan obviously is coming off of the injury, so he looks good. He just doesn't look in peak performance. Jack Robinson also got, he has airs, he has powers, he has power. He just doesn't look as switched on and fast and responsive as Felipe and Griffin. Whereas I feel like Jack will do a crazy air, maybe a big hook and a big closeout turn. That's three turns. Griffin and Felipe are going to fit five to eight turns in, and they'll be equally as intense and impressive. Uh, they're just that much more, you know, uh, energetic, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it really comes down to Felipe and Griffin in my eyes, and I think that'll be an exciting battle to watch. I'm rooting for Griff. I think we do. I think everybody wants that to be the final. And it's because it it represents a lot. In some regards, you have two hometown heroes, but really what you have is an American and a a transplanted Brazilian that both live in the same zone. The entire beach, well, Felipe always brings a pretty good contingent of fans, but I would say to you 70% of the beach is going to be pro-Griffin if we get to that point, if we get to that place where those two are in the final. And, and again, I point to the the uniqueness of this swell direction as a good thing, even though it might not be like prime swell for trestles as far as direction. I think it offers a, a unique a unique situation for us as viewers because we're going to see these guys handling something that they don't normally handle out there. Yeah. Well, on the women's side, Carissa Moore obviously looks strong as she always does predictable and uninspired to be perfectly honest and then uh caroline marks looked super sharp um strong very consistent you know it's like man she's got her head together she's obviously got all the skill in the world her style of surfing is there's a point of difference to it from the other girls all the other girls are regular foot she's goofy foot so there is this point of difference and she just delivers on the goods so I think Caroline's going to be hard to beat. Almost looked better than Carissa to me. Um, but then Caitlin Simmers is super exciting to watch. A little less consistent. She does fall. There's foibles. But when she connects the dots, it's different than all the other women. There's kind of a raw power surfing element that's just like the line is longer. You know, she just like holds the rail longer and Carissa's already shifting into a bottom turn to go into the next combo. But Katie's just like, F that this is, I'm giving this my all, you know? And so that's really refreshing. And I don't think we've ever even seen it on the women's tour, to be honest. It's kind of brand new. Yeah. That's, that feels like really what feels like the final, um, would be the one that I'm hoping for would be Carissa versus Caitlin because of what it represents from a a changing of the guard, a passing of the torch, the young versus the old. Um, But I think from a pure surfing standpoint, Carolyn Marks and Caitlin would be a better final, mostly because of what Carolyn Marks can do backside on the right-handers. She's going to be able to get more vertical. Um, It just... It doesn't seem like the left offers as many opportunities backside to get super vertical because yeah. it's just uh, it's just more sho- it's shouldery you know there's not a wall whereas Carolyn I saw Carolyn surfing and she was doing these backside hacks three of them in a row 
and and more vertical. She just backside. You can just get more vertical, it seems, than you can frontside. So that final will be interesting. The, the again, you talk about a hometown hero. Caitlin Simmers is going to have ninety five percent of that beach screaming for her. Yeah. Well, Tyler Wright is also looking really strong. Uh, I don't know if I just didn't. I maybe was not looking at the screen when she got her waves in the warm-up session, but I did not see Tyler Wright surf nor Molly Picklum. Uh, but they are obviously in contention too, and Tyler Wright is looking as strong as ever in general this season. So uh, yeah. it's going to be an exciting. I think the women's side is actually super, super exciting. Now I'm going to read the judges. Uh, they sent out their criteria to the surfers of what they're going to be looking for in this event. Yeah. And this will relate to a kind of further conversation about the women's side of the tour. But Stab Magazine posted this. This is sent to the surfers themselves, and then it was leaked to Stab. So Stab shared it with their um, on their website. <laughs> Maneuvers and factors that judges will be analyzing. And there's one, two, three, four, five, six bullet points. The first one says, innovative airs that are on the highest level of difficulty and technicality will be the highest rewarded maneuvers, especially when performed on critical sections or within a combination of turns. The second point is big airs and progressive maneuvers when performed on the first section, critical sections and within a combination will be highly rewarded. Feels like those first two points are almost identical. I guess the first point was innovative and the second point was big. The third point... I think the the thing that interests me there is that I was hoping that the second bullet point would have been the first bullet point. Big errors on the first section. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, the third is not that different. The third bullet point is single single errors or progressive maneuvers need to have a high degree of difficulty uh, and technicality to be scored in the excellent range. What do you think that, why they put that in? Is that a Felipe thing? In other words... The, the simple air reverse on the inside is now just like doing a Rio on the inside. Like it's not yeah. whatever, you know? <clears throat> well, there's been, you know, a number of events in recent years where Felipe Toledo, I think of as picking the clothes out, doing one big spin, landing. And then there's a bunch of online commentary afterwards where about was that as good or as uh, high of a score as John John, who just did four big rail turns. And so I think that they're saying, look, if you do a single air, it needs to be progressive and it needs to have a high degree of difficulty if it's going to be scored. The next point says combining combining major maneuvers that are explosive and tight in the pocket or high in the lip with extra speed and power, maximizing the degree of difficulty and showing variety within these combinations. All right. Next point says, when analyzing airs, judges will take into account factors such as height, distance traveled, speed slash angle of rotation, difficulty of grabs and landing, and how critical the sections they are performed on. Kind of makes sense. Goes hand in hand with everything else. And the last one says, loss of control and extended time taken uh, taken to ride out of a maneuver can impact a surfer's score. Only maneuvers that the judges deem to be complete will be scored. For maneuvers on closeout sections to be deemed complete, the surfer must continue riding back in front of the whitewash within with forward momentum and body centered back over the board. So that, I think, is just clearing up things that have happened in the past where Felipe maybe didn't fully, or not Felipe, Idolo didn't fully ride out of a maneuver, and then there was a bunch of discourse after the fact. Yeah. Well, that, I'm, that's... I'm. 
that's cool, right? That's good that we have some clarity. You know, I'm glad that there's, I sense that I understand the judging criteria. As you mentioned, all of those bullet points, I, I was kind of in my mind's eye, that, you know, watching those guys and girls do that surfing. And um, so, yeah. Well, yes, I agree. It, it is good to clarify these things that have been unclear in the past, or like I said, they take place in the past. And then afterwards, there's all of this discourse about who thinks what. Let's just lay it all out in advance so that we can all be on the same page. I understand that. Now, here's the problem that I have with it is by sheer virtue of mandating these things based on past, past performance, it's the opposite of progression. To say we are going to reward progression based on these things that we've seen in the past is to close your mind's eye to what's capable in the future. And so we look back at a common example is Mick Fanning versus Josh Kerr in 2009 at Snapper Rocks, I think it was. And Josh Kerr did that club sandwich turn. The judges did not have space in their criteria for it, and therefore they really didn't score that ride. Or when somebody's done a rodeo flip in the past. You know, it's, it is, we have this criteria, based on what we've seen in the past. And so we're scoring to this and we have a 10 point ride in our mind. But surfers who are constantly evolving apply their newest brand new thing in a heat and the judges go, shoot, we've never seen that before. We don't know how to score it. We're gonna give it a six. And it's like, it really limits progression, which is the point of surfing or the point of competitive surfing. Well, maybe. I mean, if you look at the bullet points, it says big errors. Or, I get what you're saying. So I'm trying to conjure up a situation where we might have some confusion or lack of clarity. For instance, a guy takes off on a left at lowers, does a massive error that's new or that's like next level, like maybe a rodeo flip or or something where... Even that's not new, but some flip well, variation, that, let's say. Right, something that's crazy. And he kind of lands it. He does land it. He bogs for a little bit, but he gets back into a scene and he goes. Now, the question is, is the bog part of the maneuver going to detract from how incredibly progressive it is? And I think you and I are saying it shouldn't, really, because what we've now seen is something we've never seen in competition before. So don't let the little thing at the end, because he did kind of eventually ride out of it. Right. Don't let that put in harm's way, the progression that we see from a, from a judging and points uh, standpoint. So yeah, you know, like discuss. Well, they, one thing that they do harp on, I think a couple of times here is combination of major maneuvers. And so the problem with the scenario you painted is the bog. If somebody does an air that is progressive and outside of what the judges have seen in the past or are expecting to see, and combo it up, it's undeniable at that point, you know? Right, but the, the lack of clarity is going to happen when there is a bog. Like, that's my, that's where you and I and the rest of the viewers are going to be like, oh, my God, that was insane. Everybody on the beach was like, <gasps> everyone watching was like, oh, my God, that's next level. But they score it less because of some bog thing yeah. when we're all going, hey, but that was progression. That's something we've never seen before. We need to acknowledge that. 
nobody else is even going to try that. Well, the, the perfect example was Kelly's 4.17 at lowers left five or seven years ago, where he threw that caution to the wind, wild ass spin backside and landed on his stomach and then got up and rode out of it. And they gave him a 4.17. And that was something, like you said, nobody would ever try it again. It was way outside of the realm of what we had ever seen. But because he had landed on his stomach, it was deemed as, you know, an incomplete maneuver or whatever, even though he got back to his feet and then rode out of it. So I don't know where that factors into this judging criteria. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, you got to look at it like, okay, if he made it, we know it's a 10. If he doesn't make it, we know it's a four. But if he makes it, but it's kind of a boggy landing, then it's probably closer to the eight than it is to the six. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, Stab Magazine saw Kelly on the beach and they interviewed him about this judging criteria. And I think Kelly kind of nailed partially what I'm kind of concerned about. He says, personally, I don't like the judging requirements being sent out. It seems to disregard the art of surfing to me to some degree. We all know what good surfing is. And he went on to say a little bit more about that, which I did not uh, copy and paste in my notes. But the thought is, I think what he said was, send it out, allow the surfers to digest it, and then the morning of, throw out the script. Because a wave is going to present itself and a section is going to present itself. And there is a best case scenario for how to surf that wave in that section. And what we want to see is what's Ethan's best case scenario versus Jack Robinson's and then let the cards fall where they may. But yeah. dictating to them that the first section needs to have an air on it is to dismiss what's unique about this section and this wave and this surfer and allow them to kind of solve the puzzle. Yeah. Well, more will be revealed. I, I do understand. <laughs> I do understand Kelly's point. And I get it. And that's sort of your point. Like, but it's also by its very nature, when you pull on a Jersey, you're, you're putting parameters on it. You know, yeah, if you, you want to see art, sure. if you want to see the art of surfing, go watch Dave Rostovich and Rob Machado, you know, yeah. or Clay Marzo or any one of your favorite absolute next level surfers. And there's a whole bunch of them that are just next level. But the reason we put on the Jersey, it's like, okay, let's separate the men from the boys. Who's got the mental game to do that thing that they just did at Waco or whatever, you know, like in, with exactly. the entire surf world watching you. And so you, you have to have some parameters here. And um, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think, look, they're, although it was leaked, which is funny because I kind of thought, oh, let's just show the surfing world what, what our judges are going to be looking at. Why not? <laughs> which, you know. It's funny that Stab leaked it. I mean, it's good that they did. But my point is, is that, like, they're going, hey, look, there are parameters. You're putting on a jersey. Here's what we're going, we want to see from you. And I think that's okay on some level. Well, one thing that I've said in the past is that the WSL, by running events in lackluster surf or surf spots, the best surfing in the world is not happening on the world tour often, you know? And what I will say for the WSL here is I do believe this event will yield the best surfing we've ever seen at Lowers. Uh, and so pat on the back for that because the surfing <laughs> that I see happening in the warm-up sessions is 
a notch above what we've ever seen happening at lowers prior. Felipe is among the best. He is the best surfer in the world at lowers. Griffin's right there. Ethan's right there. These are the guys, you know? And so to have access and to be kind of forced to level up with nobody else in the water and the whole world watching, this is going to be the best surfing we've ever seen at lowers. It's going to be better than last year. It's going to be better than the year before. And you're talking about, you want to see those airs on the first section. If you watch these warm up sessions, these guys, they're hitting that first section with a crazy amount of speed, doing a full rotation, landing in the flats, straight into transition into a bottom turn, and then boom, bang in the next section. And they're covering freaking a ton of ground when they're doing it. Like they are going, I mean, it's next level. It's totally next level. And it's just part of a combination. So I'm thrilled to see it. But considering the air criteria that they sent out in advance, what are we going to see from the women? Caitlin you know, Summers going big. I hope so, <laughs> because I really do feel like this is. This I think was it not speaks a, to the women's side more than the men's side. This was not a criteria that was just sent to the men. This was a right. criteria that was sent to everybody. Right. And so what I want to see, I know I've seen those girls do the airs. Let's see it. But level up. This is your opportunity. Do you want to like start? stomp your claim as the world champ this year. If you go out there and do a full road air off that first section, you're going to freaking win the heat. You know what yeah. I mean? Any, yeah. any one of those girls, they yeah. will cement their legacy at, yeah. and their world championship if they do that. And you know what else is cool about this hurricane swell is there's going to be a lot of opportunities. This is not going to be, hey, we're sitting 15 minutes hoping for another set to come in. There's going to be tons of waves coming in. So the girls and the guys are going to be able to go, hey, you know what? There's so many opportunities. I am going to go for a massive air like in the next four waves in a row. Because if I nail one and come right out of it cleanly and then connect 15 dots down the line and you know what I mean? So the, the amount of waves coming through is going to be helpful for them. Now, let me tell you something, David. I'm looking at the Point Loma buoy, which is one I, I often look to. It sits a little bit further out. It's going to be the first one to pick up southeast swell, I think, um, of all the buoys that are out there. And it's going down in wave size. Mm-hmm. So it's going, it was like, you know, 3.2 uh, wave height earlier last night is at 2.6 15 seconds from the southwest so my point is is that the hurricane energy has not shown up yet on the point loma buoy if you're listening to this right now it's nine o'clock 908 for david and i here in california in the morning 908 a.m in the morning so um i think the of course these swells hit quick you know they're they're right next to us here they're going to come in quick and we have all day to watch this Point Loma buoy and other buoys and see what happens. I think you're going to see, you know, four to five feet of swell height at 12 to 14 seconds, something like that. And that's when you know from the straight south, it might even register as southeast. That's when you know we've got some hurricane swell in the water. Epic. Well, I'm clearing my calendar for the next two days. I'll be watching. You and I will discuss and unpack this early next week. Yeah, it'll be great. Hey, the boardroom show is coming up uh, October 7th and 8th, David. It's just about, I want to say, a month away. It is a month away, four four weeks away. And um, we're honoring Bing Copeland in the Icons of Foam shape-off. We have eight shapers competing. We have made the draw for those shapers, by the way. Um, And 
It is Wayne Rich versus Hank Warner, Rick Rock versus Thomas Beckson, Josh Peterson versus Michael Arnaugh, and Roger Hines versus Dane Purley. Those are the round one heats, and um, it's going to be an exciting time. Of course, best in show, the board build-off is the Bonzer, Malcolm and Duncan Campbell. The Bonzer brothers are going to be there judging the uh, Bonzer shape-off. And uh, War and Peace, a talk story photo exhibit by Steve Sherman that features Andy Kelly Slater and Andy Irons is going to be taking place. We have a boardroom discussions with uh, Rico Rossi and Vince Longo from Future Fins doing uh, basically validation of computational uh, fluid dynamics. Um, basically taking their fins and going, look, we put it up into this program. Here's what we know. And um, there's going to be a boardroom talks with the foil guys. Um, KT will be on it. You, the guys from Unifoil will be there. There'll be some other foil guys on the foil discussion to kind of explain all what's happening in that foil world. Uh, there will also be a discussion with, of course, Bing Copeland and friends as we look uh, at his legacy. And um, and there's going to be a book signing. Jimmy Medico is going to be doing <clears throat> a discussion with Jamie Brissick and Tom Curran. Those three in the boardroom talks discussion panel. And then afterwards, they will be signing J uh, Jimmy's book called Shaping Surf History. A look at Al Merrick and Tom Curran. So Tom Curran will be there signing books with Jimmy. And then Tom Curran's band is going to play. So um, we've got, and then of course the Juvenile Seagulls, these young kids from uh, Del Mar are going to be jamming too. And another band, Five Points, going to be playing. And um, probably some others. We're trying to line up some other bands as well right now. But I mean, that's just some of the stuff that's happening. It's just going to be a jam-packed show at the boardroom show here a month away, October 7th and 8th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. And, of course, Christian from Trees Wax will be there. The petroleum-free surf wax made from rocks and trees. We've talked about this is the surf wax of uh, preference for Scott and myself. He'll be giving out samples at the boardroom show, I am sure, if you haven't already tried it. But you can get it at treeswax.com, of course or surf shops up and down the West Coast are carrying it. Wavelengths in Morro Bay, Mollusk in Venice, and Real Surf in Oceanside all carry trees wax as well. It's going to be a fun surf yeah, industry. Yeah, we'll be event. there. Scott and I will be there too. Yeah, that's right. So all most right, well, importantly, look. Scott and I will be there. <laughs> yeah, most importantly, yeah. Um, okay, so great show where all eyes are on Hurricane Hova and Lower Trestles in the World Surf League's final five championship day of surfing and it looks like it'll probably take place tomorrow saturday and we shall stand by and see david until next time adios and aloha mother mother ocean i have heard you call wanted to sail upon your waters since i was three feet tall you've seen it all You've seen it all Watch the man who rode you Switch from sails to steam And in your belly you hold the treasures You have ever seen Most of them dream Most of them dream Yes, I am a pirate.
hundred years too late The cannons don't thunder, there's nothing to plunder I'm an over forty victim of fate Arriving too late Arriving too late share of grass I made enough money to buy Miami but I pissed it away so fast never meant to Like I dream, gonna hit a 